Welcome to Hard Truths by Vertex. This is where we peel the layers and uncover raw, unobvious industry insights and venture capital knowledge across Southeast Asia and India. We interview some of the world's top leaders in tech, innovation and capital formation to hear the stories of enlightening discoveries as well as aha moments to help early stage entrepreneurs navigate their building journey. If you like what you hear, please click follow or subscribe. Hi, I'm Elise Tan and I'm your host for this episode of Hard Truth by Vertex Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Guan Tian. Guan Tian is the co-founder, chief marketing officer and APEC GM at PetSnap. PetSnap is a leading provider of research and development analytics with AI-powered technology and machine learning. The company grew from a small four-person operation to international prominence in the highly competitive field of pattern analytics. Today, PetSnap enables more than 12,000 customers across more than 50 countries to be able to assess market technology and competitive intelligence, as well as pattern insights to take products from ideation to commercialization. Guan Tian had over a decade of experience in the tech industry. She started a career as a software engineer at Movi and then moved over to PetSnap. Right now, she leads the company's Asia-Pacific business. Guan Di has a background in management science and engineering from Stanford University and a Bachelor of Applied Science in Management Information Systems from the National University of Singapore. She was part of the 2016 Forbes 30 Under 30 Asia and 2021 Tatler's Asia Most Influential. So let me now welcome Guan Tian to the show. Hi, Guan Tian. It's so nice to have you on the show. How are you today? Hi, Elise. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, doing well. Happy to be on the show. Yeah. What have you been up to recently? Well, I just relocated back to Singapore with my family. <laughs> so lived in China for 14 years, ever since I uh, joined PassNap. And now moving back. Great. Um, you know, I think it's been such a great journey hearing and also following the journey of how PetSnap has grown over the last, you know, 15 years. So maybe we can start off uh, with a simple question, you know, uh, what is your role at uh, PetSnap? You can share with us. Okay, my role kind of uh, changes over time. Uh, as a co-founder, you kind of do what's needed at that time for the company. So... Uh, when I first joined PassNap, I was in charge of building up the China commercial operation. Mm. So being the first salesperson, hiring the first salesperson, building up sales, marketing, customer success, so anything that's to do with commercial. And right now, uh, my new role from this year onwards is um, general manager for Asia Pacific. So my focus will be growing uh, the market in Asia Pacific outside of China, so including Japan, Korea, Southeast Asia. And I'm also wearing the hat of the chief marketing officer for our global team. Um, we need to have a comprehensive, cohesive message of marketing. So I'm also playing the role there. Mm. Yeah, I can't agree more that marketing is about having that cohesive message so that you can you make sure that your audience hear it again and again and that builds trust. So is that your you know your new role the, as an APAC GM that brings you back to Singapore? Yes, yes. That is one of the reasons. And also um we realized that we passed up being a Singapore company because uh, in the last 
15 years, we were spending so much of our time outside of Singapore, growing the U.S. market, Europe market, China market. We're not very well known locally, unfortunately. So we thought, okay, it is the time that the Singapore government is investing in deep tech, investing in AI. Recently, they launched this National AI Strategy 2.0. There's a lot of exciting things going on. We really want to uh, spend more time here, working closely with the local innovation community, um, contribute. In whatever way that we can,、um, yeah, making ourselves more known, more active in the local community. Yeah, good to know that you know we're building this、uh, innovation deep tech ecosystem in Singapore. Yes,、um, I was so very curious about you know how did you get to know Petsnap? Just tell us about your journey. Okay, I think this this was more than fourteen years ago. We went to this NUS overseas、uh, college. Uh, short NOC. I think many of us will agree that it is the life-changing experience for us as undergrads. We were sent to man, one of the most entrepreneurial areas in the world. So I went to Silicon Valley for a year.、And、during that one year,、um, I would say there was a seed deeply planted in my brain to say that okay, one day I want to either run the startup or. Join a very early startup and grow with the company. And when I came back to Singapore in my final year, like any final year student, you take on internships and in banks, <laughs> in、uh, consulting firms. That's what I did. So I did an internship at Credit Suisse,、um, trying to experience how is it like working in the financial industry. But I know deep down, I want to work in a smaller company. Want to work in a startup, and hopefully a global a startup with a global ambition.、Um, so that's when I met Jeff、mm. through a mutual friend, also from NOC. We met up for three hours. During the three hours, was pretty much Jeffrey pitching me what is Passnap about. I think at that point, he was still trying to build a prototype, the first prototype of the product, with a very small grant from NUS. Um, and the day after, he invited me to join some presentation to our school mentors. And after that, I decided, okay, this sounds like exciting opportunity, and this is exactly what I want.、Um, no funding, no ready product, not sure where are the customers, and struggling and、uh, working in the container like the equivalent of garage for Singapore. Standard. This is actually what I wanted to to do. So I raised my hand and joined Jeffrey, and has been working in Passnap for the last fourteen, fifteen years. Amazing. I was in a podcast recording with a colleague,、mm. so she was saying that really the best time to start a business is in your twenties because you are、Absolutely. young, energy, you have nothing to lose, and、uh, I guess that time. Without kind of the burden of you know the the real world, you might be more creative、yes. as well as solving problems. Exactly, exactly. I think especially as a woman, when you're in your twenties, when you don't have any family obligation, you don't have、uh, children. That's the time where you can really be like all in and don't have to worry about anything else at work. So you can put in the hours and really give your best, nothing to lose. So I I would suggest the same thing: <laughs> start early if you want to start up something. 
Yeah, yeah, that that's a good point, and that also brings me brings me to share that this is part of our International Women's Day series. So every mm-hmm. year we have this uh, female founders Vertex female founders series, where we hope to um, cool. be able to you know share insights, share great tips, hard truth, advice from our female founders who has been through such a you know enduring journey. So really nice to be hearing this from you. You know, PestNet has really grown a lot in the last um, 14, 15 years. Uh, I was just reading, you know, the phenomenal achievement that you have done. I think 186 million patents, and am I right? (laughs) Yes, you got it right. So um, some of these patents are dating back to even the 1800s. This is, um, PestNet is operating across 170 jurisdictions, across uh, six uh, markets, which include Singapore, obviously, but UK, US, Canada, mm-hmm. Japan, China, and now they employ over um, 800 people. So some of the users... Now we have 1,200 passnappers globally. <laughs> Great. And then um, and some of the users include the vacuum, the famous vacuum maker, Dyson, as well as SZ DJI, the, the world, one of the world's largest drone makers. So it's really phenomenal. And I just want to ask you, were there any memorable challenges that you've been through? Oh, always, <laughs> always. The, the, <laughs> there's challenge at the, every phase of the company. Um, during the journey of uh, growing Passnap, there are a few um, periods of time where we really struggled. I think uh, at the beginning, it's always difficult. Um, we are in a B2B enterprise space. So compared to B2C, in the B2B space in general, it's harder, it takes longer time to build a product that meets the product market fit. Essentially, we ourselves are not the users. If you're building something like WeChat, you are the user. In PassNap's case, it's those uh, CTOs, the R&D engineers, the intellectual property professionals like lawyers um, or the IP researchers. Those are people who have many years training in their domain, have deep domain knowledge. This is really difficult for someone like us coming out of the coming from outside of the industry, mm. trying to understand what's their daily work like and trying to build a product that's useful for them. Mm. And on top of that, Passnap is a B2B business in the information service space, meaning that our entire software is built on top of power of data. We're not a workflow software. We are a information service. So all this data, like you just mentioned, all these global patents from 170 different countries and all the related information, such as the, the litigation, the citation relationship, scientific journals and papers, court cases, also like technology investment, merger acquisitions. So all this data takes a lot of uh, time and also the know-how to acquire, to clean, to process, mm-hmm. and to make it useful to users. So we have like kind of two layers of uh, difficulty at the beginning. We had um, not much experience in this industry. And uh, back though, back in those days, Singapore's um, early venture funding scene was not as active as it is, it is today. So there were basically no funding sources, unlike if you start up something in Silicon Valley, there were more options. So lack of funding and very high barrier for entry took us 
long time. I think around five years until we hit the first product market fit. We have the MVP that satisfies small group of customers' needs. So that was really, I think, some of the struggle you can imagine during the early early years. So obviously, we spend very little money. And we pay ourselves very little salary. And the fall of the co-founders, we were living in a small, tiny apartment in Suzhou. And during the day, we work together until midnight. We go eat some street-side barbecue. Then we ride our second-hand scooter back to the home that we shared. And the next day, things going on continue again. So I think those were the difficult times at the beginning, but also with fun memories. Yeah, I mean, we also had the privilege of having uh, your co-founder Jeffrey at the event uh, at Vertex. Mm. So it was called a uh, hard, hard questions with <laughs> Jeffrey Tiong. Yeah, okay. he he shared about what you mentioned. You know, the the hard journey that you all have gone through. Um, he even you know shared the the famous story of turning off the heater. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> in the very cold winter in China. Yeah. Mm. And now you mentioned about how you have um, really gone through five years of um, trying to find the product market fit. And I, yeah, I, I don't have words for that because it's, it sounds really incredibly patient because uh, in today's world, right, we all want instant results. Mm. We want the cash to come in, but uh, it, it doesn't work that way. I read that uh, in the beginning, you guys were thinking about legal team being the payer, right? Mm. But uh, mm. along the way, something happened. Tell us a bit about that. Oh yeah, that was the interesting story. Right now, if you look at PassNap's product portfolio, we have multiple products targeting at IP professionals and R&D. But back then, we only had one product, which was a global uh, patent search analytics platform, mostly targeted for the intellectual property professionals. So naturally, we would look for those people to try to make a pitch, try to make a sale. So me being the first salesperson, leading a small team in China, literally was knocking on the door on any company, traveling two hours by bus to try to get them interested in our product. And the result was there was not much sales done. And one thing happened one day, it's one of these major semiconductor companies, IP manager, and he wanted to help us. By the third time or fourth time I visited him, he was like, okay, Guan Dian, I need to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't have the budget. Mm. Back then, having no corporate training, I was like, okay, there's such a thing called a budget. Oh. You can't just buy, right? Okay, so then you don't control the budget and who control the budget, who have the decision making? He said, okay, it is the decision of my CTO. So if my CTO is convinced, it's easy. So he told me that his CTO is a very well-known guy, 50-year-old. They hired him from uh, Silicon Valley back to run this company. And every Friday afternoon of the last Friday afternoon of every month, this guy will host a meeting for all the senior VPs of uh, engineering or business units of that company. He said, I would try to get your slot into that meeting. You can present to him and then it's up to him to decide. So on the day, on the Friday, I went in. It's a room full of like 40, 50-year-old male or engineers. Um, so I did a 15-minute pitch. Of course, I was well prepared. And I remember seeing the CTO's eyes really widened when he saw me demoing PassNet Porta. And I was able to demonstrate that we could trace all his personal inventions all the way back, it, mm. back to the days when he was in university. 
he was really impressed. Mm. So after the 15 minutes speech, um, when outside of the room, right, the IP guy just called me and said, okay, our CTO said, yes, we can wow. buy your product. Then I was like, oh, okay. So it is not the IP people mm. controlling the budget. It is the bigger guy, like his boss, boss, boss <laughs> that has the say. What? to the intellectual property department, which looks like a big budget, a lot of money to them, but to the CTO, it's a tiny fraction mm. of his total budget. Yeah. Um, so that's a moment I realized, okay, I've been knocking on the wrong door. I need to approach the, the senior people. So that's when, of course, we, we read about how to do sales because nobody taught us. Mm. And they realized, okay, there's such thing called you have to validate who is the decision maker, what's the budget, what's the decision making process, which I had no clue before that. We have to go after the R&D people. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I have a lot of, you know, thoughts when you share your story. Uh, one is definitely, you know, sometimes uh, success is really opportunity meets efforts. Yeah. Efforts, you know, mm -hmm. we can see that you have put in so much effort um, through your presentation and, and also having three meetings with, with, um, with the team before you get your break. Yeah. So realizing that, uh, you know, it should be the R&D team that you should go after. Um, how long has it been since mm. the, the beginning of the search? Yeah. So um, Pasta was founded in 2007 by Jeff and around 20... 12, so five years later, we find the first MVP. And yeah. this event I just shared uh, happened in 2013. Hmm. So that was like roughly around one year of trying, trying and hitting the wall again and again. <laughs> and then you realize, okay, I was hitting, I was doing the wrong, going the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, but kudos to you guys. You know, you, you guys never gave up previous uh, episodes. So we had uh, Joseph Poir, who is, who is the mm. co-founder um, of um, 17 Life. So he also yeah. say that, um, you know, you never actually fail unless you stop, right? <laughs> unless you mm. give up. Yeah. So, so I think yours is really uh, a good and positive example, which is really nice. Yeah. I also want to switch gear a little bit. So this mm. year, our team is that of uh, resilience and clearly mm. you do display so much resilience, you know, through, through your time at PetSnap. Um, um, yeah, so do you want to maybe share some um, advice for female founder at this point? Yeah, if uh, we have no strength, resilience is the only virtue that PassNap team, definitely we can claim credit for resilience. But I would say some of the challenges in early years, whether you're male or female, um, the difficulty in to build trust with the stakeholders, whether it's customers, investors, or business partners, when you do not have a track record, is extremely difficult. And I would understand if I were in their shoes. So it's completely normal that they didn't start by trusting me. So that means as a young professional, as a young entrepreneur, we have to work harder to earn that trust which means by doing more homework before you meet them, doing better preparation and being humble and deliver on what you're promised and slowly building 
on this uh, trust, building on your own credibility. I would suggest to young professionals, whether women or men,、mm. I guess for women, it's you have to even try harder, <laughs> because on top of、uh, your lack of skill set, there could be other obligations as women as a A future mother,、um, you you have to take responsibility for,、um, and for girls especially. Back to the earlier suggestion, start early, because I in my twenties or even early thirties, I feel that、um, I had no personal life, really like no social life. Sometimes I reflect back, like. I I don't even keep in touch with my friends at all because every day it's working, working, working,、mm. and from morning to evening and Saturdays, Sundays. So I, I think when you are in twenties with no family obligation, all this is tough, but it can be done、mm. once you have your own family. So I had my first child. In 2022, he's 15、oh, months old.、Mm. So thank you. So last year is the first time I really feel that this so-called, very cliche saying of、uh, women have to balance work and life, it was really true. Really, it's really hard to balance because you. I remember I had to go on a business trip to the UK, to the US for like ten days, and leaving my child at home, I felt very, very guilty,、mm. and I, I really want to be with him. But when I'm being with him and I couldn't attend some of the business meetings, I feel guilty that I couldn't deliver on the business part. So it was constant struggle. So. Again, do that early while you don't have all these obligations. And when you come to the time where you have these obligations,、um, hopefully you already kind of build up a supporting structure、mm. that can help you at work. Your colleagues can help you, can、uh, back you up. And at home, you have your partner, parents, or nannies, all this、uh, your own small team at home to support you while you're away from home. Going back to the theme、yeah. of、uh, resilience, you know,、um, I also want to ask you if there's any memorable experience of you、uh, feeling that you overcome adversity and being able to bounce back. Could you share a story? Well, as a team, Passnap went through a lot of challenging times. Where at each of those、uh, point of time, we could have、uh, given up. For example, in 2011, we we had to. Let go 80% of our staff back then. Back then we had like 40, 50 people, and only kept 10 people. And for the 10 people who、uh, who were still with us, we have to cut the salary, starting from us and、uh, communicate with employees to sustain.、Yeah. Um, so that was a really difficult time because you didn't know how long、uh, you would last, and、um, we didn't know where to raise. The next round of money, and、uh, it seems that it's endless、uh, product development、mm. life cycle. So that was quite quite difficult. But I guess in those tough times, you just have to bite the bullet and keep going. And also, those kind of difficulty, lacking of resources, forced us to be. Hyper focused.、Mm. I think at the beginning we were trying to build a product that satisfied many users' need. I clearly remember、uh, when we really was like have maybe six months or even shorter runway. We have to decide. Okay, we if we have to 
just focus on one group of customers or one type of need, what would it be? So we we're very, very specific on, okay, out of all the potential prospects, this tiny group of prospects, if we manage to deliver one, two, three, they will pro- probably buy our product. So we're very, very focused. Mm. Um, like today, PassNap have a patent document from 180 countries. Mm. Back then, we narrowed down to saying that if we can deliver the patents with uh, high accuracy from five major countries, mm. that can satisfy this tiny group of need. Mm. So we're focusing on just getting the five countries' the data really high quality. And we managed to do that, managed to proof the product market feed and make some revenue and then one customer after another and slowly see a trajectory. And so that's just one example. There are many other examples uh, as well. Yeah, I'm very sure. And um, before before our episode, I also chatted with Roshni, with the founder of Parent Inc., previously known as yeah. Asian Parent. Uh, so yeah. she also uh, highlighted that, you know, for like two things. So, so one is... Um, mothers, you know, females, like we only really started working full-time, you know, as a, as a gender 50 years ago. <laughs> and there's really no, not much playbook in terms of how to deal with life, how to manage uh, both work and family. And then on top of that, you know, you, you started uh, a, a tech business um, 15 years ago where there's really no playbook for a Singapore, for a Singapore you know, headquartered, a tech business that is taking on the world so you know mm-hmm. it's really like doubly hard right inventing your uh, inventing and going along building the play two playbooks yourself easy um, were there sacrifices that you made along the way i think it's going back to the noc days we we i think both jeff and i throughout this program um it was so clear to us that we want to be entrepreneur in the technology space and make impact to the world. Um, my internship at the bank re- made me realize that working in a giant organization like that couldn't make an impact that I want. So we we knew that we were choosing, we're doing something that we always wanted. So it uh, back then it didn't feel like we were making sacrifice because I think if you really feel you're sacrificing, then you'll be deeply unhappy. Mm. But in retrospect, I think me personally, the biggest sacrifice is um, first, like zero social life. Everybody's work. Um, like in your best, most fun years, in your 20s, you had no social life. <laughs> and um, the second thing is um, also, I think that stress, the long hours, caused some harm to the body. But when I was in the 20s, we don't feel it. You feel like, okay, work over, you pull all nighter and the next day, two coffee, you're, you're, you're go, going again. But then when you hit 30s, some of these uh, problems that accumulated come to hit me. So I was, uh, I was one year, I suddenly like had a lot of health problems mm-hmm. come up all together. Yeah, then I realized that, okay, this, this is a long journey. Mm-hmm. I have to work sustainably. Mm-hmm. I cannot just uh, keep like withdraw from my body without like deposit into it so to speak so i think in retrospect it's these two areas that i feel 
individual as an individual that that was biggest sacrifice mm-hmm. yeah thanks for sharing this um you know per- personal story uh yeah it's a timely uh, reminder right that we have to also uh, care for ourselves so that we can continue the yes. race thanks for sharing you know so many hard truths for uh, entrepreneurs and even uh, female entrepreneurs uh, on the show. So I also want to then go back to um, kind of understanding the Vertex relationship as well. When did you meet Vertex? Early 2014. And uh, how, how did the connection come about? You know, just curious oh. about the story. Right. So our angel investor, Edmund Yong, helped set up meeting with uh, uh, Vertex. I believe Edmund and Carmen used to work uh, as colleagues in EDB investments. Okay. So that's how the connection happened. I'm glad um, there was a connection. Um, and definitely Vertex, we have been very proud to be supporting uh, Passionet over the years. Yeah, because in the, the interviews that uh, you have done publicly, so one of the things that you said was uh, it's so important to get the right partner, the right investors on your board, uh, on your, yeah, so in your company. So share a bit about your relationship with Vertex. Yeah, it's, I think we're very fortunate to have Vertex on our board. Uh, we have been uh, in this partnership for almost 10 years now. We read stories about what happened in Silicon Valley, right? When you have a, a bad board member, very aggressive person on the board, things when things go south, it could be really detrimental to the company. So we were quite nervous as the early stage entrepreneurs when it comes to who do we want to bring in as the investor? Because we heard all the horror stories. The relationship with the Vertex has always been great from the beginning. I think uh, the team, um, they are very professional, also very friendly, very personable. Um, so um, whether it's Keylog, Juho, or Carmen, or um, some of the early members, Evie, um, the relationship has developed beyond an investor and company relationship. There is a personal relationship uh, between us and the Vertex team. When we live in China, when we catch up, there's always uh, strategizing about new ideas. And every meeting, like Gilok, will follow up by introducing us to some relevant people. And when we come, when the time came um, during our Series C fundraising, um, I remember Vertex team was pretty much did all the introduction to all the subsequent rounds of uh, venture capitalists, Sequoia, Shenwei, and a bunch of others. So very quickly for us to be able to enter the door of these famous VCs and present ourselves. So yeah, in many ways, Vertex team was super helpful, super kind people. So we really appreciate this relationship with them. That's really good to hear. Um, yeah, for, for us, we think that it's, it's so fulfilling to be able to just to bring not just capital, but also value to our founders in terms of whether it's opening doors to investors or partners um, or, or just, you know, giving, uh, being a sounding board to, to the yes. founders. Yeah, so 
it's definitely you know, hearing from Juho and uh, Carmen. It's been a uh, really satisfying journey. And, and I also want to touch on a very you know, popular topic, which is artificial intelligence. Because um, uh, I think that before AI catches fire, PestNet has already been deploying AI, right? So I read about how your team would, um, for example, come across a publication by someone. And then when they come across another one uh, with similar or same name, they would use AI to see if it was the same person. So I think that also provides a lot of value to uh, your users. So um, just to ask more about, you know, how have you been using uh, AI or generative AI? And I heard there is also a new cool product that you just launched. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As early as even like 2015, 2016, we were developing things um, in in terms of um, like computer vision or natural language processing. So because patent documents or scientific journal papers is very heavy with text and it's very meaningful if the machine could understand the meaning of certain uh, text in the in our industry so we're developing a lot of tools to enable users to have a faster smarter way of looking for information so some examples are like um, we use computer vision to develop an image search tool if i am a designer in the automobile space I have a drawing, I have an idea, I have a drawing. They can upload the drawing and our system will search across all the 180 million patent documents globally dated all the way back to the 18th century and return the patents that have the similar looking image and design. Mm. So this significantly shortened the time um, for the users to find the information. Um, we also developed this uh, semantic search capability where in the old times, users have to write very complicated Boolean queries with wildcards, with all this you know, computer jargon in order to find the exact information. But with a semantic search, we allow users to just input a paragraph um, of description, of technology description in their own words. And the system will be able to understand what the intention, what the user is trying to look for. And we will help return the results very quickly. And we even benchmark these results with, with some of the professionally searched results. For example, searches done by patent examiners from the various patent officers, offices, and the match rate is very, very high. So it means that as an inventor, um, because my invention eventually have to go to the patent examiners mm. to, for them to check whether it's new, whether it's novel. So that saves me a lot of time. Also, saving time to companies means shorten the time to go to market in a hyper-competitive world. Everybody's uh, like rushing to push the new product to the market the fastest. Mm. So those were the last generation of AI, which we started building in 2015, 2016 which has really benefited our users significantly. Mm. And recently with the uh, with, um, generative AI, with ChatGPT, we were also one of the first in the industry in very quickly embracing it. Even in 2023, when the general capital market was very much emphasizing on improving productivity, mm. uh, controlling cost, 
we still manage to shift some of our budget to developing our own large language model. Mm. So we're the first one that come out with a large language model trained, developed, trained by Pastime team instead of using some of the open source, instead of using some of the commercial ones, the outside ones. So our users will enjoy a high level of security because all what they're searching will not go to ChatGPT, will not go to Anthropic, for example. So they'll stay within the PassNap system. So we recently launched it, uh, actually just last week, mm. our own PassNap co-pilot will have like a chatbot. So the customers can, the users can interact with a chatbot to ask questions such as, please summarize for me the key technology benefit of this particular page that I'm looking at. So within seconds, the board can summarize a 100-page long patent document and tell the user that these are the key benefits of this technology and how is it different from the rest of the technology. Um, and also they can ask some generic patent IP related questions. Um, and also with um, this uh, new generative AI, we allow users to quickly generate technology reports or we call invention disclosure which used to take them like a week to write, now take them a seconds. So we're very excited about this new wave of generative yeah, AI. Maybe. Yeah, and we will have a, throughout this year, we'll have a few major product launch. So we'll be very happy to share with you guys when it's out. Yeah, sounds good. And, you know, as you share um, throughout the podcast, it's very clear to me that one of the value of PetSnap is definitely customer centricity. Um, I love oh. how, you know, you have invented um, the the technologies to be able to serve them better, uh, and especially now with the co-pilot. So um, yeah, it is is really remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Customer centricity is it's written in our company values. So this mm. is number one, and I know a lot of companies talk about it, but for us, we really think it's super super critical for PassNap's survival. So uh, Jeffrey nowadays still go on to meet customers every month. Mm. You'll visit a dozen of customers every month wherever he travels to um, and come back sharing the stories. And all the senior leaders are required to visit customers. Mm. So you have to stay close to the customers in order to know what they want. Again, we are not the users of our product. They are the professionals. We have to learn from them. So this is really, really critical. And technology is in the blood of PassNap. Um, I think we have a good, um, in the founding team, we have Marcus, our CTO. He's uh, very much a techie and Jeffrey loves technology. And we all come from engineering, computing background. So from day one, it's always um, to think of ways how we can um, leverage technology to solve the problem rather than how to leverage professional human beings to solve the problem. So that's what differentiates PassNap from some of the incumbents as well. It's definitely very visionary. As I think back uh, our conversation, we do talk about quite a bit of um, you know stories that went well. Was there a time where, it, you know, just being curious, um, you actually maybe gave the wrong information to your customer or like, you know, your AI hallucinated? Not really AI hallucination because we, again, unlike the general um, large language model, we are... This language model we develop is trained based on real patent data. So everything is traced back to the source. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the problem of hand oscillation. Um, 
in terms of uh, I think in, in terms of uh, disappointing users with uh, bad search results or bad product experience, I think yes, we always had that. Not so much in recent years. I think more in the early years when we're still trying to perfecting the product. So sometimes we did have to uh, put in some manual hours <laughs> to compensate. Uh, I, I do remember that uh, some of the early customers. Um, they gave us their trust by subscribing to our product and the product failed to deliver. We have to even pay money to hire some outside professional searchers and to help them finish their work. <laughs> I do remember receiving calls from customers to say that we trusted you, so we buy this product, but now it's not working. What do we do? I was like, okay, we will, we will do everything we can to, to help you or right? to deliver our promise. But I think um, the central theme um, that you, you guys have choose to take on is being trustworthy, you know, being committed to delivering the solution that you promise. And, and I think oftentimes customers will overlook the, you know, the, the kind of uh, issue that comes up because uh, as long as you really help them to solve it in time. Yeah, so, so that's... Yeah, that's, absolutely uh, agree amazing. with you. Yeah, like when we when we kind of have screw up, we were nervous, but then turn out that customers can be quite forgiving if you are transparent, you're honest, and you are genuine. So I absolutely agree with what you just said. Yeah. So we are coming towards the end of our conversation. I just want to take the opportunity to ask you if you have any hard truths, advice to share with um, you know, someone listening to this show before we end. Maybe can share something from my personal perspective. Sometimes we kind of I, I kind of had doubt in myself. Um, but then I managed to overcome some challenges and managed to deliver and even surprise myself. And over the time, the confidence was built up. Um, and also, maybe this is a female thing or maybe it's a personal thing, is that throughout all these challenges, sometimes you get really emotional because you care so much about it. Uh, you're so uh, vested <laughs> so that you kind of um, emotionally very much impacted by those uh, challenging situations. But in retrospect, life is short. And this is whether you're being an investor or being an entrepreneur or being a banker, whatever you do, this is just part of your life's journey. And there are many, many things in life that's important. So we'll still do the same things, the same decisions I made, but I wish I could do it without that much uh, emotional attachment. So it could be more detached, kind of seeing yourself from a higher position. Um, I think that way is more healthy. Thanks for picking picking up that topic, right, of um, trying to have more confidence in ourselves and to kind of overcome the doubts that we have. Yeah, so I think, I mean, there are many ways to deal with this. Uh, and the first thing comes with awareness. So, so, you know, thanks yes. for bringing that up. Really, Pesneb uh, and, and your team is very visionary. So what is your vision you know, for the future of Pesneb? How do you see the company evolving in the next few years? Yeah, so the vision for Pesneb is we would like to, we, we would like to become the go-to place for all R&D professionals. Just like if you are a professional finance, in the finance industry, whether you're an investor or you're a banker, the first thing you opened 
the day is the Bloomberg terminal. So we want to be called the Bloomberg terminal for R&D engineers from all the way from um, giving them the inspiration for ideation to managing their innovative projects to collaborating between the various department in the organization or monitoring the latest technology trend. So all those um, um, junctures, all these critical points where the user needs to uh, source for relevant information, trying to make decision or trying to collaborate, working with others around the innovative technology development project that this user is working on. We hope to be the go-to place for them. Yeah, makes sense. And I'm sure, you know, uh, one day you'll be able to achieve that given the kind of grit. And, um, Thank you. <laughs> we barely scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah. And with this, you know, I come to the end of our conversation and I really want to thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Yelis. Yeah. And, and really, you know, I, I enjoy hearing the stories that you shared. Yeah. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Before we close, do remember to check out the podcast notes via the link in the episode description. We have for you the entire episode transcript, bite-sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we're sure you'll love. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do spread the word and give us a thumbs up. It would help others find the show and mean a lot to us. Thank you for joining us. This is Hot Truths by Vertex. See you next time.